Welcome to the Arts and Sciences Matters podcast, brought to you by the College of Arts and Sciences at Georgia State University. This is your host, Anna Varela. Our goal is to bring you insights from researchers working on a broad range of social, cultural, and scientific challenges. Our guest today is biology researcher Eric Gilbert. Today we're talking about his work to develop a process to upcycle plastic. Welcome to our podcast, Eric. Thank you very much, Anna. First, uh, let's start with a little explanation of what upcycling is. Anna, so recycling is when we have a waste product and we take it and we find a way to renew um, it again, make mm-hmm. something fresh from that same thing. And often that's making the same, the ideal would be to make the same thing again. Mm-hmm. With upcycling, our goal is to take a waste product and create something that's going to have higher value. And that is particularly important when we are talking about plastic waste. One of the issues with plastic waste is there's so much of it. Mm-hmm. And even if we put it in the blue bag or the blue box at the curb and we send it out for recycling, when it reaches the recyclers, sometimes there's so much of it, they just don't have a market to use it afterward. And so its value is low. Hmm. And so we who are thinking about what to do with plastic waste are very interested in coming up with higher value products that we could use and that we can make from plastic waste. Well, interesting. Tell us a little bit about the method that you've developed to upcycle plastic. How would it work? So we are microbiologists in the lab. Mm -hmm. And so when we are confronted with problems that we like to solve, we think about what we can do with the using microorganisms to help solve that problem. Mm -hmm. And my interest then is finding a biological problem process for treating um, plastic waste. Mm -hmm. Now, initially you might think, well, how could a microorganism possibly break down plastic waste or have anything to do with it? In fact, one of the advantages of plastics is they're often really resistant to what we would call biodeterioration or breaking down due to microbial activity. That's a great thing about plastic while we're using it. But that's an actual issue when we're done using it because mm-hmm. we want uh, products that we're done using to break down and be uh, um, recycled, essentially, or composted into mm-hmm. uh, natural materials. Mm-hmm. So back to uh, our process, when we like to, the microorganisms are able to metabolize or use their cellular machinery to take all kinds of different molecules and make new things from them. Mm -hmm. And so our interest is taking molecules that come from plastic products and feeding them to microorganisms so that the microorganism will grow and make something new that then we can use to do other things. Hmm. So would this be taking that plastic and then converting it into chemicals or what kind of products would come out the other end? One of the interesting things is to think about how could a microorganism even use a piece of plastic as a food source? Mm-hmm. But it turns out that there are microorganisms that can grow on all kinds of interesting natural products. In fact, um, one of the things that um, my research started out in this area in was something called bioremediation, where we use 
microorganisms to clean up hazardous waste. Mm -hmm. And often that means that we're using microorganisms to um, metabolize or use their cellular machinery to change a bunch of unusual chemical molecules that are out in the environment. Mm -hmm. They can do that because they have, um, over evolutionary time, over long periods of time, they've become adapted to using having cellular machinery that can break down lots of interesting molecules that are derived from natural products. Hmm. Plastics start out, in many cases, by using petroleum hydrocarbons, mm -hmm. and those are natural products. So there's some aspect of plastics that is amenable to a natural trans transformation in some ways. However, when we make our plastic products, they are not easily degraded mm -hmm. at that point. Why? Because the, the plastics themselves, at this point, they're too big. The molecules that make up the plastics are too big or too heavy or too mm, unusually structured for microorganisms to eat. Mm -hmm. What we do in our lab is start out with a chemical process to break down the, the plastic into smaller bite-sized pieces. And those bite-sized pieces are food for microorganisms to grow. While they grow, they then produce other kinds of compounds that can potentially have commercial value. Okay. So they're sort of digesting the plastic after it's been broken down a little bit for them to get started? Absolutely. So that's what we do. We use either a chemical treatment or a heat treatment to make essentially a soup of small molecules that are easily eaten by microorganisms, eaten, uh, we, we usually use the term metabolize, but enzymes from the microorganisms are going to change those molecules and bring them into the normal biochemistry of the cell, mm -hmm. the things that the cell is normally doing to grow, and those kinds of compounds are going to be the things that we will then collect and sell as products. That's our, that's our objective. Okay, so after this digestion process takes place, what are the compounds that come out the other end? So we are targeting the production of a class of compounds called fatty acids. Mm -hmm. And these are, um, they're oils, they're natural products that um, are commonly used and a variety of commercial products, including detergents, lubricants, um, uh, paints, mm -hmm. for example. Biofuels is another place that these are used. There are two particular ones that we're interested in. One's called oleic acid, mm -hmm. and the other is called palmitic acid. And one place that you'll see these two molecules is if you look on the back of a bottle of shampoo, mm. um, they're commonly there. Okay, so every a lot of every everyday products. Everyday products. Yeah. And we will um, this kind. We don't normally think of microorganisms as a source of these kinds of oils, mm -hmm. but there are a variety. There's lots of microorganisms in this world, and they do a variety of different things. And one of the things that some of them do is accumulate little droplets of oil 
inside of them. So when we get this kind of oil, we often call it single cell oils. Once we get the chemicals, though, the, these ones that we're interested in from the cells, from the microorganisms, they are the same oils as we would get from more typical sources. The place that people normally get these oils at present is from um, palm trees. So palm kernel oil is a major source of hmm. the oleic acid and the palmitic acid. Another place is from animal fat um, that's a byproduct of um, processing meat. And a another place is from um, the wood and paper processing industries. Mm -hmm. They often, that trees will have some oils in them and the, they accumulate as byproducts and then are distilled down to become some of these products. So this process that you're developing could help us address the surplus of plastic waste, but also perhaps um, have some other environmental benefits by yeah, reducing I mean, the cutting of palm trees, some of these other destructive things that we're doing. That is certainly one of the benefits of cultivating or producing oils using single cells. There's the potential to reduce the amount of deforestation associated with um, growing, um, producing these kinds of oils in mm -hmm. um, palm plantations. Mm -hmm. That um, So that is certainly one of, if, if, if we were able to reduce plastic waste using a microbial process and reduce some deforestation at the same time, that would be uh, a nice win-win for the environment. Yeah, so cutting down less forests to plant palm trees yeah. to make these products. Interesting. So just to get a sense of scale, um, these microorganisms, obviously we're talking about something you can't see with, with the eye, but um, how many of them would it take to upcycle, say, a pound of plastic into some of these more useful chemicals? So we, we work with, so a pound of plastic is about, ha uh, about half a kilogram, mm -hmm. and we use uh, about 20 grams per liter of this material. Mm -hmm. So it would take us around, um, in our current state, about 40 or 50 liters or quarts of cells to break down and process a pound of plastic. So mm -hmm. how many microorganisms is that? Well, we figure there's, on, there's around a billion or so that we work with per milliliter of, um, of, of our, when we, we're growing these things. Mm -hmm. So I think the answer is a gazillion. <laughs> A lot. It's hard to there put a, a number lot, on it. But it's not unusual to cultivate microorganisms in really large numbers mm -hmm. in terms of, of um, when we make things. In fact, the general term for cultivating microorganisms um, to produce something is, is called fermentation. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of food products that are made uh, by fermentation. And so typically for our the fermentation processes that are used in industry to make either food products or to produce, um, in some cases, pharmaceutical products. 
the, the, the input, the food for the microorganisms is a sugar, mm-hmm. like glucose. Essentially, what we're working on in our lab is to do a fermentation process, but instead of using a sugar mm-hmm. as the input, we'll use our plastic-derived molecules as the input. Huh. So these microorganisms sound pretty powerful. Are they safe? Right. I, they are safe. They are not... Um, they are not pathogenic, meaning they don't cause infection. They aren't. Um, they are naturally identified and microorganisms that come out of the environment. In fact, the one that we use is widely um, used in the field, um, and it it has a GSU history. Actually, it was identified in the 1970s by um, Dr. Don Ahern and his colleagues from uh, in Louisiana who found it in um, uh, an oil-contaminated salt marsh. Hmm. And this microorganism was growing there and using oil as a food source. Oh, wow. It's a naturally occurring yeast that was feeding on these oils, and they isolated it and grew it here and gave it its name. And since then, this organism became widely used around the globe. And um, it, a feature of it is it can be genetically engineered that sometimes makes people nervous. Well, ooh, this is some kind of Frankenstein-like mm-hmm. microorganism. But the kinds of changes that people do, scientists do, to improve these microorganisms are pretty tame. Um, these are the kinds of things that I guess I would describe it more as taking our wild yeast that came from the salt marsh and turning it into a domesticated microorganism Mm -hmm. so that it's useful for industrial processes. Hmm. Now, um, I think you've mentioned that one of the applications for this process could be um, working with the carpet industry here in Georgia and elsewhere. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Well, it was news to me at first, but very interesting that most of the world's carpet is produced in Georgia, and the major players are headquartered here in North Georgia. Right, Dalton, right? And Dalton yeah. primarily, and then also Calhoun, and, but mm-hmm. some other, but right here in the Peach State. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that the, the amounts of carpet that are produced annually in the United States alone are very, very large, on the mm-hmm. order of billions of pounds annually. And just about all of it ends up going to landfill. So there's some real interest in reducing the amount of waste that accumulates in the landfill. So that carpet, like after it's been in somebody's house for 10, 15 years and it's time to get new carpet, it just go, the old stuff goes in the trash. Most of it goes in the trash. Mm-hmm. There are people in the carpet industry who are concerned about this mm-hmm. and who are interested in alternative ways of managing their carpet waste and mm-hmm. reusing it. Because you think about it, that's a lot. There's a lot of material. That when we're talking about on the order of billions of pounds of carpet waste each year, Wow, that's something that seems like we, we ought to be able to do something else with it. And um, so from GSU, 
I and uh, a graduate student, my colleague Brian Stubblefield, mm -hmm. reached out to the industry association that's thinking about uh, working with carpet waste and found some real interest. So we have ongoing conversation with the various uh, carpet manufacturers here in Georgia about how we can potentially contribute to solving some of their waste problems. Interesting. Well, um, one, one other question I had was, you know, the plastic, when you try to recycle plastic at home, so I put stuff in the bin that goes on the curb in front of my house, and then my neighbors and I, we've had these discussions about how much of that really gets recycled, how much of it gets tossed, because we've heard about this problem of food contamination in plastic. Is, is that a real problem? It is, and it's one of the um, terrible shocks of learning about recycling is to discover that not everything that one puts in the blue bin will actually end up recycled. Mm -hmm. um, that down in, in the, um, when we are dealing with plastic waste, when we send it out, if it has food residues um, on the plastic, mm -hmm. when it reaches the material recycling facility, the place that's going to separate the plastic into the different types, if there's, pla if there's food residues still on the plastic, it interferes with the quality of the materials that they make using traditional recycling methods. Mm -hmm. In fact, the objective of traditional recycling is to take a plastic, say like polypropylene, mm -hmm. and then break it down and make more polypropylene from it. That's mm -hmm. one of the uses. Or direct it to something that's more simple, just melt it down and make a mishmash of different plastics mm -hmm. and use that for a particular, uh, a very simple product. But that food residues that are on the um, plastics can interfere with the reuse of the polypropylene, as an example, to make more mm -hmm. of that same kind of product. Who knew, right? We always think yeah. it seems so simple that we would just send it off, it's going to break down, and you end up making more of it. But it turns out it's not so simple. We are particularly intrigued about using microorganisms for managing and handling these food-contaminated plastics because our idea is that when we break down the, the plastic products after they've been used into food that microorganisms can eat, if there is some food residues there and they also break down, those will become foods that microorganisms can also eat. That is, the food contamination will just end up being part of the soup, if you will, in which we will grow the microorganisms. And then they will go and make more of these fatty acids. Okay. So not a problem for the process you're developing. Right. Well, there's always one of the things as scientists that we think about, there's always limitations and some complications and our job is to figure out what will work and how to overcome those limitations mm -hmm. but we're excited about that we think that's a real strength of using this approach to recycling this biological approach to um, upcycling plastic waste mm -hmm. 
Okay, well now we're gonna take the conversation in a different direction, ask you a few personal questions. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what led you to this research into methods for harnessing biological processes for upcycling? All of the plastic waste that you see if you go out on the beach or you read about that's in the ocean, mm -hmm. I find to be terribly upsetting. Mm -hmm. And as a lab scientist interested in environmental problems, I, when I learned about how big it was, this problem, for example, the Pacific, Great Pacific Garbage Patch and yeah. these terrible things, my thought was, well, what can we do to help solve this problem? I work in a laboratory. Can't we use this to try to find something that we could do? What do you feel is the biggest misperception that people might have about your research as a biologist? I think that scientists in general, but in microbiology, are um, perceived as working against nature, that we are creating things that are not natural. We are... Mm. Um, and... I think as a microbiologist, my interest is in using natural processes to help solve the problems that we as people have created in our societies, our, our waste problems, for example, pollution mm -hmm. problems. Yeah. Do you have a favorite book or movie that touches on your work? I would say that these days when I think of inspiration for doing new creative scientific work, the person I think about is Elon Musk. Hmm. And I, I love how he has seen that we have this problem with too many gas-burning cars leading to pollution in our atmosphere. And what we need are electric cars. And he just said, I'm going to build one and come mm -hmm. up with that. And we need more solar to help generate the electricity that is renewable that will feed into these electric cars. So I will start a uh, solar city or a, a renewable solar electric uh, company. Mm -hmm. And that attitude I find incredibly inspirational. So I will go and look at the Tesla web page and the SpaceX web page and think about here's a person who clearly was confronted with a status quo and said I am going to do something that is different and make mm -hmm. something new happen. Mm -hmm. I doubt I will be the next Elon Musk but my goal is to push forward with plastic waste in a similar kind of way. I think people need to work on solving issues that we're concerned about and um, come up with solutions. Well, great. Well, thank you for spending some time with us today, Eric, and, and sharing, um, sharing about your work. This has been the Arts and Sciences Matters podcast brought to you by the College of Arts and Sciences at Georgia State University. You can follow us or let us know what you think on Twitter at GSUArtSci, and you can find more episodes on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. 
Thank you for listening, and we hope you subscribe so you won't miss out on future episodes.